Well, a good morning once again. We want to say thank you for joining us. So if you have not been here the last couple weeks, Pastor was going into a series on prayer. There was a couple times where there are some people who, instead of saying the Lord's Prayer, they say Our Father because that's how it starts out with. I'm just picking on Trish because sometimes during recovery, she's like, all right, let's do the Our Father. I mean, the Lord's Prayer. It's okay. That's how it starts out. Thank you. My cup's almost empty. Yeah. Yeah, just starting a trend. But pastor said sometimes we have to be careful when we say it over and over because it can become mundane. It can become repetitive, and it's just something we do. Like I said, we say it every week at New Hope for Recovery. And my prayer is always, let's not, this, let's not this become just something we do to close out the night. Let this be a real and fervent prayer. If you listen to 95.5 The Fish, like every night at 6 o'clock at night, they play the Lord's Prayer. They pr- play a different pastor from Northeast Ohio. And there are some of them on there that I hear that there's just no excitement. There's no it doesn't feel, you don't feel any meaning in their voice. It's just so bland. It's just like, our Father, who art in heaven. And the Lord's Prayer is so much more than that. And if you have time, you can go onto our, our website, or you can go onto our Facebook or YouTube, and you can pull up the last previous messages on prayer. But the reason why I'm talking about that today is because today we're going to talk about something else that we do here at church. Somebody may look at you and be like, well, why do you do that at your church? I've never done that at any other church that I've gone to. Like, well, I don't know. It's just something we do. So today we're going to break down the Bible decree or the Bible pledge. Talk about why do we do it, some meaning behind it. So the title to my sermon today is called This is my Bible. So if you grew up in Christian school or Catholic school or maybe in Sunday school or maybe Awanas or Patch the Pirate, a lot of people learned the Bible decree or sometimes in there it's called the Bible pledge. When I was in Awanas, we used to say it. And the two differences is instead of saying, this is my Bible, we would say, I pledge allegiance to the Bible. And then at the end, we would always scream that I might not sin against God. So like I said, we're going to break down the Bible decree today. And I want to thank Pastor Chris for being willing to stand up here and open us up with the Bible decree. And Ron Sterner, because they don't just quote it. It's not just something. I know to those two gentlemen that the Bible means something to them. You can feel emotion from them when they say it. It's not just a repetitive thing. When pastor was talking about the Lord's Prayer, a lot of the pronouns in the Lord's Prayer are us, or plural pronouns. It says, our Father, give us this daily bread. Forgive us, lead us. But when we look at the Bible decree, they're all singular pronouns. They're all personal to yourself. And I think the reason behind that is because this Bible is for us. We need to make it our Bible. We can give it to somebody else, but we can't make it somebody else's Bible. 
We can't push the importance of it on them. Say, this is your Bible too. No, this is a personal thing. It's our Bible. How many, has anybody in here ever heard of the Gideons? Few of you. So the Gideons are, if you haven't heard of them, chances are you have seen one of their Bibles that they have placed. Their Bible isn't anything different from the Bible that we read. Some of them are the small pocket ones that's just the New Testament and Psalms and Proverbs. And then a lot of them you will see in hotels and motels. And they'll have a little stamp on the front of the cover or inside that says it's from the Gideons. The Gideons were started in the early 1900s. There's these two men. They met in a hotel and they were sharing a room. And at night, they found that each other, they loved the Word of God, and they loved God. So they said, what can we do about this? So they decided to start this organization called the Gideons. And the whole point of the Gideons was to get the Word of God out. And the one guy said, you know what? Since most of the Gideons are travelers, let's try and place a Bible in every hotel room across the United States. So three of them met together and they said, let's make this called the Bible Project and we'll call ourselves the Gideons from the book of Judges. And they started placing Bibles across all hotel rooms in the United States of America. So that started in 1908. And it's been a little over a hundred years since the Gideons placed their first Bible in a hotel room in Montana. And since then, more than 2 million Bibles have been placed in hotel rooms throughout the United States. The first million took 93 years from 1908 to 2001. And from 2002 to 2015, in just a little over 13 years, they placed another million Bibles. I found this on the Gideon website. It says this, that God's Word is distributed, uh, more than two copies of God's Word are distributed per second, and over one million Bibles and New Testaments are distributed every four days. They now have it in multiple languages, and they give these Bibles away for free because they believe how important the Bible is. Another thing, another group of people that believes the Bible is important is a church called Life Church out of Oklahoma. They are the ones who came up with the U version Bible app. And they say this because of generous donors to make all the Bible apps and all the workings of it free, they are able to offer 2,898 Bible versions in. 1,884 languages, all for free and without advertising, because how important they believe the Bible is. The Bible today, it is still alive, it is still active, and it is still very applicable for us today. You need to make the Bible your Bible. Father God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we are able to be here on this glorious day. We thank you for the Bible, for the fact that we are still able to open it up. We still have the freedom to read it, to own it, 
to learn it, to live it, and to pass it on. We ask that you bless this time, Lord. Speak through me in your holy and most gracious name. Amen. Let's go ahead and look at the Bible decree again. So it says this, This is my Bible, God's holy word. I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. So we're going to break it down phrase by phrase. So we're going to start out with, this is my Bible. So the Bible is made up or compromised, composed of two different sections. The Old Testament containing 39 books and the New Testament, 27 books. The Old Testament, it was written mainly for the Jews, although we can still get stuff from it today. It contained their laws, their rules, It contained things on how they should make the sacrifices and their atonements for their sin. After Jesus' birth, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, he himself became the law. And he said this in Matthew 5.17. He said, Don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. So while people will say, well, the Old Testament doesn't really matter. Again, Jesus said, no, it it does matter, but I've just come to accomplish its purpose. So four things we need to remember when we say, this is my Bible. First of all, when we say, this is my Bible, we need to understand that the Bible is for everyone. Augustine said this when looking at the Bible. He said, the Old Testament concealed, the New Testament concealed. Revealed. So the Old Testament looks forward to the coming Messiah. And the New Testament, it looks at the promised Messiah and all the promises that came from the Old Testament. The Old Testament, it lays a foundation for the teaching and the events in the New Testament. The New Testament is only completely understood in light of the events, the characters, the laws, the sacrificial systems, and the covenants and the promises of the Old Testament. So both portions of the, of the Bible are as equally important. When you decide to say that this is my Bible, when you decide as a Christian to say, yes, I am going to follow what this is going to say, you don't get to pick and choose what portions of Scripture that you're going to follow. And there are too many people that do all that today. They're like, well, I'm not going to follow this and that. And then then again, I'm not saying that we have to follow everything because some of the Bible was written to specific people. So when we look at the Old Testament, when we look at Leviticus, that was written to the Jews, that was their Levitical law. So again, some of those do not apply today. Like, we eat pork. We wear clothes that are of mixed fabrics. But when we look at the laws, when we look at just the Ten Commandments, all the Ten Commandments, except one, are re-spoken in the New Testament. So, we look at them, and we have to look at the Scripture as a whole. Again, the Bible, some of it is written to specific people. So, a little Bible class for you here. So, if we look at the New Testament... We see that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we call those the Gospels. Those are the stories about Jesus and everything. And then we get into Paul's writings. Well, Acts was written by Luke, and it was written to 
Theopolis. Even though it was written to Theopolis, we can still apply it today. So then we go into Paul's writings. Romans. Romans was written to the church of Rome. First and second Corinthians was written to the church at Corinth. Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. Philippi to the church, Philippians to the church at Philippi. So again, even though those were written to specific churches or specific people, we still need to read them and apply them to our lives today. Paul said this in 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. He said, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete through thoroughly equipped for every good work. So let's look at it again in the NLT, the New Living Translation. It says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us what to do, what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip His people to do every good work. Let's go ahead and back up to verse 16. And again, earlier I was talking about the pronouns. So when we say that the Bible is for everyone, it says right there that to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. So it wasn't, hey, this is for, this is just for Timothy since I'm writing him this letter. No, it says it's for us. In verse 17, it says, God uses it to prepare and equip his people. Who are God's people? We are God's people. Everyone who decides that I want to be a follower of Christ, you are chosen and you are one of God's children. So we can see that the Bible is for everyone. It doesn't matter what background you have, what social class, what ethnicity. The Bible is for everyone. Second of all, when we say that this is my Bible, we need to look at it and see that the Bible is written in everyday language. One way we know that the Bible was written in everyday language when it was composed is because of this. As recently as a little of a, over a hundred years ago, pretty much the only writings we had in Greek were the Bible and some of the writings of Plato and Socrates. Well, the writings of the Bible were different than the writings, the Greek language of Plato and Socrates. And most scholars thought, well, the Bible must be some holy language. Only certain people can understand it. And that all changed when in Egypt, in a dump, they found receipts, they found letters, and they found contracts and that, was, that were written in the time of Jesus. And that was in the same Greek that the Bible was. So they're like, okay, this is for ordinary people, these receipts... And the Bible is in the same style. So we can see that the Bible was written for everyone. The common language. It was written to the masses, not just an elite few. William Tyndale, an English scholar and somebody who helped translate the Bible. He was a leader in the Protestant Reformation. He said this about translating the Bible from the original Hebrew and Greek into the English language. He said, we do not wish to abolish teaching and to make every man his own master. 
But if the curates, which he was talking about the church, if the church will not teach the gospel, if the church will not teach the word of God, then the layman, the everyday man, must have the scripture and read it for himself, taking God as his teacher. And the reason he said this, because the biggest church at that time was the Roman Catholic Church. And some of them said, well, not everybody needs to have the Bible. You know, we as the priest and the leaders, we can read the Bible to you and tell you what it says. And the Protestant Reformation was partly all about getting the Bible into the hands of the people so that way you could study it, you could see what the Word of God says, and you weren't just told what it says. The Bible is for everyone, and everyone is entitled to have the Bible, to be able to read it and have their hands on it. And when you do that, you can rely on God to be your guide. When we say, this is my Bible, we need to see that the Bible was written in everyday language. Next, we see that the Bible is an understandable book. I have heard countless people say, well, I don't read the Bible because I can't understand it. And that almost used to be acceptable because a lot of people were talking about the King James Version. They said, well, I, I don't understand those words. Well, I understand that. We don't speak in that today. But it does say in the Bible that if anybody lacks wisdom or understanding, to pray for it. So, okay, let's put aside the King James Bible because it is written in that old English. It does use a lot of words that we don't use today. But let's look at some of the more modern translations, which I've been using the New Living Translation, the NLT, a lot. How many people in here have ever started something that you never knew about before? Anybody? Senior's going to be putting in a hot water tank today here at the church. Before he started doing that, before he started learning, he couldn't just go be like, you know what? Oh, this hot water tank needs fixed. I've never done it. I'll put it in with no problems. No, in order to learn something, you have to be doing it. So in order to learn about the Bible, to understand the Bible, we have to be in it. We have to be reading it. We have to be experiencing it. Now, just because you read the Bible doesn't mean you're going to understand and know everything. And just because everybody can read the Bible doesn't mean everybody is going to know it and understand everything the first time you read it through. But the more you read it, the more you can understand. The more your eyes are opened up to the way that it is. So a little example, um, earlier, like two weeks ago, I, was, I started reading John. And in John, Jesus is there. He's talking to the people at the temple. And he says to them, go ahead and tear this temple down. And in three days, I will rebuild it. Well, I thought, okay, yeah, you're going to tear down the building and you can, you know, rebuild it in three days. And I don't know what clicked. Maybe it was something I heard. But I view that as a foreshadowing to his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Because they say that we ourselves are the temple of God. So Jesus was saying, go ahead. Later on, you're going to tear down this temple. You're going to tear me down. You're going to kill me. But it's okay because in three days, I'm going to rise again. I'm going to rebuild it. So we read the Bible over and over to understand what it is saying. The Apostle Paul 
compared the writings of the Bible to the church at Thessalonica as a mother caring and feeding for her own children. In 1 Thessalonians 2.7 it says this, As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you. But we were gentle among you as a mother feeding and caring for her own children. He's saying, we have written to you in a way that you can understand it. God has given us this, this Bible. God gave me, the, gave me these words, and I'm giving them to you so that you can understand it. God speaks to us in a language that we can understand. We may not always like it. We may not always understand it right away, or why he's having us do that, or why it's going that way. But it is understandable when you have a close walk and a close fellowship with God. And lastly, when we say, this is my Bible, we need to see that everyone is held responsible to obey its teachings. It doesn't matter what religion you are. Because as Christians, we believe that the Bible has final authority over all people everywhere. There are two categories of people according to the Bible. Believers and unbelievers. The New Testament in John 3.36 says this, All who believe in God's Son have eternal life. Those who don't obey the Son will never experience eternal life, but the wrath of God remains upon them. For those who do not believe, those who do not put their trust in God, your day will be in hell of eternal torment because it calls us to believe and trust in God. Let's move on to our second phrase, God's holy word. So when we are looking at this, we are obviously talking about God, the God we believe with a big G, and not just a God, the one who we call the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the creator of the universe. So holy, what does holy mean? Holy can mean exalted or worthy of complete devotion or perfect in goodness and righteousness. So we could say that this is God's worthy word. This is his righteous word. We need to be completely devoted to the words of this book. And it's hard. And in this lifetime, we will never be able to be completely devoted because we're sinful. We were born sinful for humans. We have flaws. But we need to strive to the best of our ability to listen to what God says, to apply it to our lives. The Bible tells us how to live. In Colossians 3.16 it says, Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Now here where we normally see that it says the word of God, it says the words of Christ. The phrase is only used here in one other place in the New Testament. And it reminds us of a very important truth, that the whole Bible, it's not many different stories. It's one story all about Jesus Christ. 
Jesus said to the Pharisees, he said, the scriptures bear witness about me. All of these verses bear witness about me. Jesus is the central figure of the Bible. In the whole Bible, both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, he's hidden and anticipated. And in the New Testament, he's revealed and enjoyed. The whole point of the Bible is that we should come to know, enjoy, love, serve, believe, and live for Jesus, the Savior of the world. The words of Christ of the Bible is God speaking about His Son, and also it's God speaking to us through His Son. For nearly 2,000 years, the Christian church believed that the Bible was primarily the Word of God. They believed everything that it said about Jesus. And we say nearly 2,000 years because a little over 100 years ago, a man named Charles Darwin came up with this new theory, this new belief that we call the theory of evolution. And he suggested that maybe the world came to be through natural causes or by accident in someone instead of somebody or something creating it. And so the church leaders started to think, well, maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe there is some truth to this thing that he is saying. Again, the church long held on to the conviction that the Bible was the word of God and that it was to us. They believe that God existed and he made himself known and that the Bible tells us what God has said and done. They believe that the Bible was a story about God, God's world, and God's word to mankind. But again, we said new thinking started happening. And people started thinking, well, you know what? We've been told that this is all about God. What if the Bible is actually all about us? If that were true, then the Bible would be forever changing. But we know it says in the Bible, it says the word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The word of God doesn't change. The principles don't change. It's the same. What, is ap- what was applicable 100 years ago is still applicable to us today. If you believe this theory of evolution, the ever-changing, then you may not look at the word of God as God's word to us or about God. You will look at it as his word about God. If we think that it's about God and people's opinions, those thoughts become very shallow. And over time, you would think, well, we've become more sophisticated. So the word needs to change a little bit. Two very different views on the Bible. One, the Bible is God's word to us, or the Bible is our word about God. So we can either look at it as the Bible is God's word to us or it's our words about God. What we believe about the Bible is very important about how we will respond to it. If you believe that the Bible is human words about God, then you're probably just going to read it for inspiration. But when it doesn't fit with what you're looking at, then you're just going to toss it aside and say, you know what, 
that doesn't sit well with me right now. That's not how I feel. That's not the way I see it. You will look at it and say, well, that was then, but this is now. Times have changed. We've evolved. We know different things. So three biblical convictions about the Bible. Why is it important? What difference does it make? Why should anybody care whether it's God's word or us speaking about God? And it makes all the difference. One, if God has not spoken, then his promises are replaced by our wishes. So let's look at some of the great promises of God. He says this in Hebrews 13.5. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. In Acts 16.31, he says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. In Philippians 4.19, he says, My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. So who said these things? If these words came from the mouth of God, if these are indeed God saying them to us, then they are promises on which we can count on. They are promises that you can take to the bank, as they say. You can build every circumstance on your life if those are God's words to us. But if they are humans' words about God, and they are not promises, they are just wishes arising from those writers. They are just, well, this is what I think God is like. And those aren't words that we can cherish very much if they're just wishes. If you believe that the Bible is our word about God rather than God's word to us, you take the foundations of hope and you replace it of hope and God's promises about and turn it into our wishes about God. Two, if God has not spoken, his truth is replaced by our opinion. The Bible says this, that God is gracious, He is merciful, He is slow to anger, and abounding in love. But whose words are those? If God spoke those words to Moses and to the prophets, then we can be indeed sure, we can be for sure that God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in love because He is the one who said it. He disclosed that himself. But if those words just came from the thoughts of Moses and the prophets, then we don't have truth that we can count on for today. All we have are opinions of experiences of other people. And it may or may not prove true for us today. So if you think this is just a collection of our words about God, conversations would go a little something like this. Well, Moses said that God is slow to anger and wrath, but how do you view God? It all becomes our opinion. And since everybody has different experiences, some of us, because of the life we chose, because of the circumstances that have come up, we would never be able to say God is gracious because that's just our opinion instead of the truth. When the word of God is viewed to us as words about God, again, his truth gets replaced by our opinions, and that takes the foundations 
of our faith. And three, if God has not spoken, his welcome is replaced by our journey. The Bible is full of invitations. In James 4.8 it says this, Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. I will make with thee an everlasting covenant. That's from Isaiah, sorry. From Isaiah 53. James 4.8 says this, Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, though your sins are like filthy, dirty, disgusting rags, I will make them as white as snow. So again, who said these things? If Isaiah and the prophet James got these words from God, if these words came from God for them to write down, then we can be certain that God is reaching out to us in love. That means we can come to Him with all the confidence in the world. We can enjoy a true and authentic relationship because He has invited us to come to Him. But if these words were just a simple experience from James and Isaiah, then they are only pointers of a journey that you could be on. A hope that maybe you could have. They tell us what others have found. And they offer no assurance that we can find the same thing if we just think they are words about God. If the Bible is viewed as our words about God rather than God's word to us, you will have reach, people reaching out and seeking God but finding very little because God is lost in a journey. And what is lost is His love for us. His love through His Son. And you just have people seeking. So this matters how we view the Bible. It matters whether we view it about God or is it God's Word to us. God is seeking us. He is reaching out to us. And all we need to do is accept His love and His invitation. Next phrase, I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Both next sections come from the Bible directly. They come from the book of Psalms. So before we get into the next verse where this comes from, a little information that I learned this week about Psalms is Psalms 119 is an acrostic poem. So Psalms 119 is made up of 176 verses. So in some Bibles, you'll see them broken down into sections. Each section is com comprised and made up of eight verses. So the original author of this, in verses 1 through 8, every single verse in the original Hebrew started with the letter A. In verses 9 through 16, every single verse, again in the original Hebrew, started with the letter B. All the way down through verse 169 through 176, they started with the letter T. Because in the original, in the Hebrew, they have A through T. So he's saying, everything here is from beginning 
to end. Just like we say that God is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. The letter itself, the poem itself in Psalms 119 is the study of the Word of God. It focuses on the joy by finding and keeping God's Word and the pain of turning away from sin. So what does Psalms 119, 105 say? It says this, Thy word is a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto thy path. We get that directly from there. So some say thy, some say your, but it's all referring to God. So God's word is a lamp unto my feet. So his word. What again is God's word? His word is the Bible. Again, we see that it's the Old Testament and the New Testament. When the author of this was writing it, he would have had just the Old Testament. Every Another interesting thing that I found in Psalms 119 is almost every single verse in Psalms 119 points to the Word of God. It does not always say the Word of God. It doesn't say the Bible. But it says words like this. It says instructions, decrees, commands, commandments, promises, regulations, and laws. So as the writer of this, when he was looking at all of these decrees and regulations, where were all of these found? They were all found in the Word of God. I thought it was really neat, and I started going through. And I encourage you this week to just look at Psalms 119 and start going through. And anywhere you see one of those words, just replace it with the Bible or the Word of God. So it says, The word is a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto thy path. They weren't talking about a super bright light. When he was talking about a lamp, he was talking about a candle light. Just enough light to navigate the path of life. Just enough to take one step at a time. Because if God showed us everything all at once, chances are we would see those hard times up ahead and be like, I'm stopping here. I'm not going any further because I see that big mountain. But I can't see behind it, so I don't want to have to conquer that. But God says, I'm going to give you just enough light to navigate one step at a time. We know that God's word is intended to help us live abundantly. In John 10.10, it says, The thief comes not to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, But I have come that you might have life and might have it more abundantly. I have come that you might have life and live life to the fullest. But our abundant living, our prosperous life, is not contingent on how much of the path we can see, but on a closeness with God, on how much time we spend with Him. And He gives us just enough sometimes to just make it through. There are times that we will be overflowing with things, but then there are times that it's just enough to take one step at a time. There are other places that point to this as well. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is alive and powerful. 
It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between the soul and spirit, the joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Reading, interpreting, and living by God's word is just as essential as the daily food and drink that we eat. Jesus himself signifies how important the word of God is and it needs to be lived in our life. Just as instinctively we know how to eat and drink, we need to know how to respond to Scripture. Again, in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says this, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us how to do what is right. Certain translations, instead of inspired, it'll say, all scripture is God-breathed. And whether you want to use the word inspired or God-breathed, it doesn't matter because it's the same thing. We don't know that Jesus wrote down anything in scripture, but the purpose is the same and consistent. It teaches us how to be more Christ-like and how we can be redeemed from our sinful nature. The word of God is a lamp unto thy feet and a light unto our path, and we need to use it daily. In the last phrase, I will hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. And this comes from Psalms 119, verse 11. So why do we need to hide God's word in our heart? Why is it important? I mean, I have my Bible right here. I have my phone with me almost all the time. You know, if I need a verse, I can just look it up on, you know, whatever Bible app I have, or I can Google it. Well, what about that time when your phone dies and you don't have it? Then what? Well, I think it says somewhere in there, I think maybe it says this. So a couple points to why we should memorize Scripture. One, memorizing Scripture helps us become more Christ-like. As, Christ, as Christians, it says that we need to be Christ-like. That's what Christian, essentially, it means the likeness of Christ. We need to be filled with His love. How are we filled with his love and his knowledge? By getting into the scripture and helping us memorize it. Memorizing scripture helps us know Jesus more intimately and deeply. Two, memorizing scripture renews and fills your mind with truth. In our modern day of everything on our phone, all the garbage we see on TV, we hear all about, we need to be refreshed and renewed. We need to meditate upon the scripture. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says this. It says, I beseech you therefore, brethren. I urge you. I beg you. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercy that I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And verse 2 says this, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your 
mind. How do we renew our minds? By getting into God's Word. Memorizing Scripture is a great way to keep the Word of God at the forefront of our minds. Three, memorizing Scripture can help you with your Bible study and devotions. You won't have to always be like searching for it. You can just know where that Bible verse is. Number four, memorizing Scripture can help you overcome temptation. We face temptation each and every single day. Psalms 119, there's a verse in there that says, How can a young man keep his way pure? How can we stay true to God? It says, By living according to your word. And then it follows up with, Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. When we think about you know, memorizing scripture for that reason, being able to defend against temptation. We think about the armor of God. We think about all the defensive pieces, but then we come to the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. What would it be like for a soldier to go out on the field and say, oh, I forgot my sword, but I need to fight this battle. So having the Word of God memorized is a great way to always have your weapon ready. Five, memorizing scripture helps you communicate the gospel. Again, somebody can come up to you, somebody you don't even know, be like, can you tell me about the word of God? I heard that you're a Christian. And having it memorized, you'd be like, yeah, the Bible says this. The Bible says this about repentance. The Bible says that we have these sins The sins are anything we do wrong, but don't worry. They can be washed white as snow. Six, memorizing scripture can help you thrive during times of trial, testing, and stress. Those verses that give us just a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of what is to come. Seven, memorizing scripture can help you make wise wise decisions. Again, Psalms 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. It helps guide us. Number eight, memorizing scripture gives focus to our day. It helps us. It's a great way to start off your day, a great way to end your night, however you do it. Nine, memorizing scripture can help prepare you for the underground church. There are places all over the world where Christianity is illegal, where the Bibles are illegal. We never know what can happen. And that one day where they come in and they start taking away our Bibles, how are we going to let people know what it says unless we have it memorized? And the last one, number 10, God commands it. He says, meditate on these things. Hide them in your heart. Continuously put them in your heart. So again, having the Word of God is very important. Being in the Word of God is very important. They say the average person spends 90 
minutes a week with God. Sometimes there's been those weeks where I've been just about there. And those 90 minutes were spent here in church. We're not going to have perfect weeks where we spend every single day because we let things come up. But the average person, 90 minutes a week. So 90 minutes a week. So one day equals 1,440 minutes. One week, 10,080 minutes. One month, 43,800 minutes. One year, 526,600 minutes. One decade, 5,256,000 minutes. And one century is a really big number, 52 million minutes. And we spend, the average person, 90 minutes a week with God. That averages out to like 12 minutes a day. So what would happen if you only spent 90 minutes at work a week? I know some of us would be like, thank the Lord because do you know the people I work with? But if you only went to work for 90 minutes a week, unless you were making thousands of dollars an hour, you wouldn't be able to make it. And chances are, if you only went to work for 90 minutes a week, your job is coming crashing down and you're getting fired. What about this? Relationships. If you only spent 90 minutes a week with your wife, with your family, how would that suffer? Your relationships would start to suffer. What about sleep? Who can sleep for 90 minutes a week? If you can sleep for just 90 minutes a week, God bless you. But if you only sleep for 90 minutes a week, you're going to become unhealthy and collapse and end up in the hospital. Again, family, your marriage. For those of you who are married or dating, what if you only spent 12 minutes a day trying to get to know that specific person when you were dating? You wouldn't be able to get to know them very well if you only spent 12 minutes a day. And that would suffer. Over here, education. I know there were some times when I was in high school, I wish I was only there for 90 minutes. But if you only spent 90 minutes a week in school, you probably would not be able to learn very much. And then here we have God. How much time do we seriously have spending with him? And I'm not talking about just, you know, reading your Bible. Maybe it's just talking to him while you're in your car. There's ways we can spend time with God by just turning on some worship music, turning on a podcast, reading a good Christian book that will help you live your life. But if you only spend 90 minutes a week with God, 
your relationship with him will really start to suffer. All these other things will come into your life. You will make excuses of, well, I don't need to go to church this week. And it all starts to suffer. So what do we spend our time on? Where do we spend our time? So we spend our time... Right here, screen time, including our phone, our tablets, our TV. The average person, they say, throughout 75 years of their life will spend 25 total years of screen time. 13,140,000 minutes of having a screen in front of your face. And that's just screen time. Nine years of just watching TV. Nine years of watching TV. 4,730,400 minutes of watching TV. Now, some of it is well spent. We can watch some things that help us learn We can watch things that motivate us. We can watch things that change us. We can watch things that make us want to be a better person. But most of it does not, and it's just a bunch of garbage. The average person will spend five years waiting. Five years of waiting in line. Five years of waiting at the doctor's. Everybody always complains about the DMV and the wait there. Five years of waiting. They say the average woman will spend one year deciding what to wear. (laughs) I'm going to tell you, I'm guilty. I am there, especially on... Sundays, I'm always like, all right, Allie, what do you want to wear tomorrow? I don't know. What did we wear last week? Well, what color did we wear two weeks ago? I don't know. Okay, what tie should I wear? Well, we're going to spend one year deciding what to wear. So what do you spend your time on? The average person is going to spend 525,000 minutes sitting on the toilet. That's a lot of time. Some of us more than others because we want to escape. We're at that point now where I'll go into the bathroom, I'll close the door, and I hear this right outside. Ah, ah. Baby girl, I'm going to the bathroom. Leave me alone. She's always like, baby girl, daddy's going to the bathroom. Come on. Ah, ah. Just give me a minute. But... That's almost one year. That's 600 minutes short of one year sitting on the toilet. And we only give God 90 minutes a week. So if you came to church for 75 years, did not miss one day, 
because somebody came into town, because you went away, 90 minutes a day only equals 351,000 minutes. So we spend more time on the toilet than we do giving to God. That brings me into conviction. Thinking about that, how much time are we giving to God? We want to stand up here and say, this is my Bible, but we don't open it throughout the week. So we have a choice. Do we really want to say that this is my Bible, or do we want to say this is a Bible. Father God, we thank you for this time and we're able to get into your word. We thank you for the word. We thank you for your redemptive power. We thank you that we have the opportunity to come to you anytime we please. We don't have to wait till we come to church to come to you. We can spend time with you any day of the week, any time, any place. Help us to put this into practice when we say this is my Bible. To not just say it, but to mean it. To make it our prayer. To make it our desire. That we should follow it. We should follow after you. In your holy and most gracious name. Amen. Go ahead and stand with us as we give a song of invitation. A time where, again, you can lay it all down for him. Lay it all down on the altar. Sing with us today.